Hey ladies, are you a conservative woman just trying to find a podcast that isn't speaking propaganda right now? I get it. I'm with you. I'm here for you. We all need some encouragement and godly wisdom to remind us we are on the right track, to remind us of our identity as God's daughter. That's where I'm here, to help you grow spiritually so that no matter what life or the world throws at you these days, you cannot be shaken. It's here you're going to hear stories of women who have become victors where they were once victims. You're going to hear God's word to help you stand strong and push back the darkness. You're going to hear wisdom that is not of this world to keep you focused on Jesus. I don't know where you're at today, but I do know God is meeting you right there. He wants to bring you closer to him. Throughout this podcast, you're going to hear bits and pieces of the pit, the trials, the difficult seasons the Lord has brought me through, so you know you're not alone. We're going to walk together and grow in our relationship with Jesus, because really, that's what it's all about anyway. So join me as we seek truth, share overcomer stories, and just learn what it is to lean into the Lord. God is good. He has a good plan for our lives, and we can trust Him. My name is Meredith. Welcome to Guiding God's Daughters. Let's get real and go deep. Hi, everyone. My name is Meredith, host of Guiding God's Daughters, Get Real and Go Deep. And I am so excited today to finally have a guest on that I have been wanting to have for ages. Um, She's pretty special. We met, I don't even know how many years ago, three or four years ago, um, shortly after her story began, which she will tell you about um but we've always kind of had this connection and just have known we're supposed to stay connected and kind of help young people um not have to go through what she has gone through and parents um so i'm gonna let her introduce herself and then we will kind of get into the story and all that but she is going to i know she's going to impact you and um, i just pray that her her story blesses you today so um Becky, why don't you tell us your story or tell us about you and then your story. Okay, sure. Well, thanks, Meredith, first of all, for having me on here. Um, I know it's only seemed like a couple of years ago that we met, but it's actually been almost seven years. I know that was the first um, the first time that I publicly spoke about this. And I think you were there that night. So, yeah. So my name um, is Becky Savage and I am from northern Indiana. I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for almost 30 years, believe that or not. And then I went back to school, crazy me, um, to get a master's degree in nursing education. And I taught at a local um, university for many years on nursing students. So Mm -hmm. um, that was a lot of fun engaging with young kids, um, so to speak. So yeah, so most of my career has been spent in education and in the healthcare field. Got it. Which which you and I talked about a recall for the other week was kind of no mistake um, in how your story has played out. So um, why don't you tell the listeners about your story and what happened? Sure. Well, our story started um, back on June 14th of 2015. um, So almost eight years ago um, coming up that um, our two sons, our two older sons and myself were attending graduation parties. And uh, I went to a couple of the graduation parties with them and then let them go um, to a couple more. And I, you know, went home. I think I actually went to the grocery store, um, came home and started to unload uh, groceries. Uh, My kids came home, uh, checked in with me and um, ate and said, and we're going back out, we're going to some more graduation parties, which in our um, community, um, you know, it's a really tight-knit community, even though they went to a large high school, they had a lot of tight-knit friends. And uh, during graduation season, it is like one graduation party after the other. So um, that wasn't an unusual thing. So um, they went and um, they came home shortly after midnight. And I remember hearing them come in and coming out of our bedroom and looking over our banister upstairs and making eye contact with them. Um, You know, as a parent, you're like, this is great. They're home. You kind of have the, um, you know, check that off and you go to bed. And my boys went into the kitchen and started making snacks and, um, and, and that was it. The next morning, Um, I remember I was, it was a weekend, it was a Sunday morning, 
and I was going around doing household chores. I think that morning it was laundry um, that I was doing at the time, walking in and out of the boys' bedrooms, picking up their clothes that they, you know, threw on the floor, never picked up or anything. <laughs> and I remember walking in Jack's room and, you know, I was looking at him and I remember thinking um, in my, to my, in my, my mind to myself, you know, what a beautiful child, you know, he just was like, he looked like an angel. I remember that thought. And, you know, many of us as parents have sat there and watched our kids sleep before it's, you know, kind of that uh, peaceful thing. Um, and went around his room was picking up laundry, uh, talking to Jack, you know, it's time to get up, you know, we're not going to sleep the day away, so to speak. Um, before I really, um, you know, had a split second of panic where I was like, is he breathing? You know, is it what, you know, you know, how sometimes you, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what? And I'm like, you know, don't be so silly, you know, mm -hmm. but I walked over and, and shook him to awaken him. And, um, you know, those next few moments truly, uh, you know, still haunt me, you know, I am a nurse. I've been training, trained in saving people. And, um, that moment in time was, you know, Jack was lifeless. He was just, mm -hmm. Um, laying there. I remember grabbing my cell phone, calling 911, um, coming back to his room uh, and doing CPR, you know, picked him up out of his bed and laid him on the floor and did CPR. I mean, it's like things that as a parent, you can't even imagine you're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, you know, paramedics finally had came and, you know, took over resuscitation attempts. And um, I remember, uh, you know, I, one of the paramedics had left, um, had got up during the, you know, resuscitation attempts. And I remember screaming at him, you know, like, why are you leaving him? Where are you going? But what I didn't know is that he was responding to another 911 call out of my house, which was um, from my basement. Uh, in the meanwhile, while I was calling for help with Jack, um, I was hollering for Nick because I knew that Nick had been home with friends. And um, they heard me screaming and they went to awaken Nick and found Nick in the same condition as Jack. And, um, they had called 911. Mm. So, um, mm. you know, we didn't know, I didn't know at the time what was going on in my mind. I'm thinking, you know, was, was there a gas leak in my house? You know, like what could possibly happen? Um, having both of my boys, um, overdose was not, wasn't even on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, what we now know is that they were at graduation parties where they were participating in underage drinking. Mm -hmm. And at some point during their time there, um, there were pills that were offered to them and they decided to take that pill. And unfortunately it, it cost them their life. Mm -hmm. I know it's, it's still hard to believe that that's my story, you know, when I, it's just. Yeah, you know. I'm the chills. It's like I have chills and I have no words. And it just is, yeah, it's every parent's worst nightmare. Okay. And you got, it happened twice. And I just cannot even imagine. And um, just, oh, tragic. And I'm yeah, it, so it, incredibly sorry. It just, it's. What do you say? You know? Yeah. It's one of those, I mean, it's one of those things you think, I mean, it's horrific. I mean, I literally wish this wasn't my story, mm -hmm. wish this wasn't, but then again, I wouldn't ever wish this on somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I really feel like this, um, is part of our story for a reason. Yeah. And, um, we're, we've recognized that. And so we're trying to really, find our purpose in that and use that to help other people and, yeah, you know, potentially save other people's, you know, save lives in the yeah. process. What, what a blessing. Uh, I'm curious how long, you know, obviously grief, I mean, I deal with other people with grief all the time and it doesn't all of a sudden go away. You're not like, Oh, I'm no. And so I'm curious kind of where in your grief you guys kind of, or maybe how long or where it was that you were like, you know what, we, we have to create the foundation or we need to do something where, what was it that kind of shifted in you that made you realize like, okay, this is bigger than us. Yeah. 
Well, I remember, um, and, you know, and, and grief, I get asked that a lot. And I truly believe grief isn't something you get over. It's something you learn to live with. Yep. And, um, and some days grief is bigger than you are, you know, and you just take it one day at a time. But um, I remember during that week that the boys had passed away, we were um, at the boys' um, public viewing, mm -hmm. and um, my youngest at the time was 11. And he, um, during that week before that, it was a Friday, the boys passed away on that Sunday, and Friday was their viewing, but during that week... Um, he wanted my credit card. He wanted to order some of those rubber bracelets that had the boys' names on it. And I'm like, okay, sure. And I remember giving him my credit card. Um, and I remember them showing up like the next day or something crazy. And I'm thinking, I have no idea how much I just paid for that, you know, overnight shipping. <laughs> but, but we had those. And he wanted to pass them out. It was so important to him. He wanted to pass those out to the boys' friends. Mm. So he had those at the, at the viewing. And I remember he came back to me with this wad of money. And when I say wad, I mean like a wad of money. Wow. And he's like, mom, you'll never believe somebody just gave me a hundred dollars for one of those bracelets. And I'm like, wait, wait, what, Matt? Whoa. You know, when it registered, I'm like, Matt, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to sell them. You know, we're, we're giving them away. He's like, no, mom. He goes, because what he goes, we're going to do something good for Nick and Jack. And we're going to do something with good with this money for Nick and Jack. And that was the seed wow. that, that was planted. And I'm, you know, at, at that point you have so much other stuff going on. You're just like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, at some point I, as a parent too, you're just like, you have to let them grieve in their own way. Mm -hmm. Then this was his way. And I wasn't going to tell him it wasn't the right way. So it happened. And I remember that, that seed being planted and, you know, we took a good year before we, we did not speak publicly about this um, because it was, a bit, you know, we could have, but we, we didn't. We wanted to focus on our family and this was our, you know, our grief and our, you know, I was so um, wrapped up in making sure that my other boys were okay and that they, you know, still, they still deserve to have a good life. And I really wanted to make sure that they got all the resources and um, everything that they, they could to help with that, with that, you know, grief process for them. And, but we were um, invited to speak locally. And I think that's where I met you mm -hmm. um, about uh, alcohol, underage drinking. It was like a town hall. And I remember thinking, well, our boys were underage drinking. And I'm sure that played a big part into the choices that they made, because we all know you can't make good choices while drinking. Yeah. And underage drinking is no different. Mm -hmm. So we um, we went and they said, you know, maybe 15, 20 people will come. And I'm like, okay, because up until that point, I'd not ever done public speaking, so to speak, other than with my students. So we went and there were over 200 people. I remember that showed up and I was so like, oh my gosh, I cannot, I am just like, I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? I don't even know what I'm going to say. And like, and I just remember having a piece about me mm -hmm. and, and the words just mm -hmm. came and I just said what I guess I was supposed to say. And, um, we got through it. And then one of our friends was a local um, television host. And I, you know, said, if we do a, an interview, you will be the first one. And so we immediately went with her and we did an interview and that kind of just started, um, I guess the ball going, like we started getting calls from local high schools. Can you please come tell your story to our students? They need to hear this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, lo more local radio st stations and TV stations and then national, mm -hmm. you know, we started getting, um, request interview request from, you know, Nancy Grace and um, the today show and Megan Kelly and Fox news and mm -hmm. CNN just, just really, you know, this was at the cusp, you know, you think about it in 2015, that's really at the cusp of the spike um, for really all these, these overdoses. They were going up then, but um, not like they are today. Mm. And that's kind of what, when we, my husband and I were thinking, maybe this is what we're supposed to use that money for, um, to start a foundation, you know, and 
do something good with that, you know, leave, uh, you know, do something good in Nick and Jack's name, you know, their work here on earth um, physically is done, but they can still reach people and change lives and touch lives um, through us. So that's mm. kind of how we started the 525 Foundation. So, oh, so, in oh, this depart with the, the most incredible part is that it was your other son. So it's like, just the, just, wow. I mean, it's like, he must have a little entrepreneurial spirit in him because of that. Um, I would say, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. But it's kind of like those things like out of the mouths of babes, right? Yeah. So like, you just don't, and sometimes you don't even realize what the seed's been planted when it's planted mm. until later on you're like, oh my gosh, remember what Matt said, X, Y, Z, P, you know, whatever. And you're like, that was the seed, you know, and it just needed time to, to sit there and you know, grow a little bit before it really became a beautiful flower, so to yes. say. But it's like, he had to, sh it's like, you just had to see it. Yeah, like you said, and let it be. And I absolutely love that you guys took a year to just love on your family, mm -hmm. because that is so important. To, it's like, just to re-steady the ground, just to just yeah. rebuild the foundation, even though it looks different. And it's just, what are we going to do with this and focus on them? It's not funny but funny friday i don't know if you saw on facebook my husband's car blew up and um like oh, i did in flames yeah flames big yes. flames 12, yes. in 12 inches from our house and that was terrible the Lord protected our house but here's the thing is my husband's like yeah let's keep ellie home it's a little event but it's something i mean she's three and a half where it was like she needs to be with us like it, she just yeah. needs to be surrounded with love just a little event but surrounded with love. And I think that is so important because then out of that love, you guys can go out and, and just shine their light. And um, that's just a beautiful thing. Cause some people I think are just like, I need to do this. And they kind of make whatever that is kind of the fix. And it's like, yeah. you guys didn't well, do that. Yeah. And there's no way. I mean, and I know, I remember thinking, you know, there is nothing I can do to change what happened, the outcome. You know, I can sit in my room and then beat my head up against the wall and it's still not going to change the end result. Or I can focus on things that I can change, you know, and that is, you know, my other two boys having a beautiful life and knowing that th this doesn't make their life any less important. And, you know, and, you know, talking and making a difference in the lives of other people, you know, our family, our friends, our you know, people we don't know in the name of Nick and Jack. And mm -hmm. I think to me, that sounded like a better thing to do than beating my head up against the wall, so to speak. <laughs> right? yeah. How can I approach this situation with a glass half full instead of a glass half empty? Because like my other boy, it's like your other boys have a whole lot of life more left to live. And so do you. And it's like, and you know, they're watching us too. You know, I, I remember thinking, you know, they're watching how we handle this. And if I were to, to respond that way, then maybe that could have been theirs instead of us, you know, moving through that. And still, we still hurt and we still grieve at, at times. And, and that's okay. You know, we, we talk about it. It, you know, we, we still bring them up every day in conversation, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, remember when, you know, Jack did this or Nick did that. And, you know, we find where we laugh more now than we do cry. And, you know, that is, um, that's, that's love, you know, love is, um, is grief and you don't have grief without deep love. So it's okay to grieve. Yes. And it's okay if you just, I had one of those days the other weekend where I, I say, I always say my book on grief is going to be called, duh, it's grief. Because I'm like, why am I moving slow? Why am I, eh? and it's like, oh, pardon me. I'm going through grief. <laughs> yeah. You can't explain it. And th there are no books that tell you how to get through it. You no. know, everybody's different, but just recognizing that is what it is. Um, I think you can maybe cope with it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And I know you t told me the other week about um, how you go to some of these, you went to an overdose. So did you do something where you saw a bunch of moms who lost their children to overdoses or something? Yeah, so it was a, um, a mom's group I was speaking at in Boston. And okay. it was just so sad, you know, like, 
that we were all there for, you know, because we'd lost kids and probably about, I would say 90% of the moms in that room had lost kids to overdose. And it was just, you know, it was sad, but yet it was uplifting to have that support of other moms feeling the same way you, you know, like understanding how you feel and having that love and support from them. It was just very, very, um, impactful. Yeah. I bet it was. It's like, I'm not, because it's such an isolating, I mean, grief is such an isolating thing, but what you went through is so isolating and I cannot even imagine what that felt like. So affirming. And, um, so were most of the women there kind of respond, trying to, pres trying to walk through it or was it like, um, both. I think I think it was kind of a like a celebration of moms, okay. um, so to speak. But you know, everybody's at a different point in their journey, you know. And I think that's kind of where everybody in that room was, you know. Mm -hmm. Some may have just lost their child. Some might have, you know, been twenty years. But you still feel that profound grief. And mm -hmm. I think just knowing that you're not it's okay and you're not alone and um you know not that you would ever want someone else to be where you're at but knowing that there are people out there like that and just understanding that it's like hard to explain the feeling until you've been through it and then when you've been through it you will never forget that feeling mm -hmm. like it's because it's with you forever and you know losing a, i think losing anybody is you know, is that, you know, I mean, can hurt. Um, I think there's a, a, a different element to it when it's your child. Right. Um, it, it's just a different, um, not saying it's worse or better. It's just a different kind of hurt. Mm -hmm. And um, having that, that group of people around you that, you know, understood that, mm -hmm. I think was um, what was so impactful about that. That's awesome. That's uh and I, I can imagine them hearing you was just, you know, it's just, it's like when you, when you first, you first shared your story, it's like, then you said it, I, I'm, it's like, sometimes we, all we do is have to, is get the story out with another person or like you did. And it's like, yeah. to get it out. And it's like, okay, here we go. You know, this is, this is it. Here we go. People need to hear yeah. it. And this is what we're supposed to do. I mean, I, I never thought again, like this is something I would ever choose to do. Like this was never on my list of things when I was young that I would write down what I want to be when I grow up. I never, never on there was, you know, public speaker, you know, advocate, you know, any author, none of that. And it's just, I think when we listen, um, to where we're supposed to be, things happen. I mean, it was hard, harder for me to stay doing what I was doing um, after the boys passed away. And I remember talking to um, one of my um, uh, colleagues and she's like, maybe God's trying to point you in a different direction and you're just not listening. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, maybe you're right. And uh, maybe I need to just listen. And when I did, and I was pulled one way, you know, and things just started happening. And I'm like, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I get asked all the time, you know, how did you do this? How did you do that? And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's by the grace of God, because I didn't know how to fill out 501c3 paperwork. You know, I didn't know things just happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, it seemed like we were in the places where we were supposed to be, you know, to meet the right people for this or that. And, you know, it just, it just seemed to happen. And, um, we just had to learn to accept it and, and go with it and, um, do our job with that and use that as our, you know, our purpose to help further that. Right. So God really, God really laid out the road for you. You just had to walk it, you know, and yeah, that's what you're still doing, you know, I and know. that's really all we can do. But, um, I think what is so powerful about you know how it's taken a couple years for me to get you on here and for me to get my stuff together on the podcast and but the timing of it is crazy because of the fentanyl crisis in our yes. country yeah it is nuts it's it's getting really really scary right now um 
you know, I do a lot of work um, with the DEA. Um, we are very involved in their take back days. Um, we really spearhead those events here in town um, and really get involved with that. Um, I've been involved in a lot of their family summits, um, been a speaker at several of their events, um, just, you know, really involved with what they do. And we get a lot of information with them. And I remember when we first started hearing about fentanyl, I was like, you know, being a nurse, I'm like, fentanyl, you know, like, because we, we used to use that in the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, but it's a different kind of fentanyl. It's not, you know, the kind of fentanyl that is manufactured in the laboratory under strict regulations. You know, the fentanyl that we are starting to see um, in every community across our country is fentanyl that is being manufactured in um, non-regulated areas. So it's, you know, precursors are coming in from other countries and then they're being manufactured um, and brought into our country in the form of pills, powders, liquid, um, you know, vapes. It's just about in everything there is I know the DEA just put out an alert that six out of every 10 pills that are confiscated are laced with a, a deadly dose of fentanyl. You know, it's it's terrifying. Fentanyl right now is in everything. Um, and it's really something that we all need to be talking um, to our loved ones about. You know, nothing is safe. Um, there is no room for error. Um, there are kids, you know, you can't go out and make mistakes anymore because one pill literally can kill. Mm. Yeah. yeah I, I saw some article about like the rise in like toddler and, and little one's death because a parent who is using it leaves it out and the little one picks it up like it's candy and it's gone. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people, um, that, are dying from fentanyl overdoses don't even know that fentanyl is in what they're doing. Um, you know, fentanyl they're finding in vapes. Well, how many kids are, we have a crisis right now with kids, um, you know, middle school, high school and college age kids with vaping. It's a huge thing, you know, and a lot of this, there could be fentanyl in that stuff. Um, marijuana. I know we're surrounded by states that have legalized marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of marijuana that the people are buying on the streets are coming laced with fentanyl. A lot of people are saying, well, why are they putting fentanyl? They're killing their customers. Well, they're, you know, trying to create um, more business for them because they're trying to get people addicted and opioid, which is what fentanyl is, is an opioid, is a very, very, very addictive um, drug. And when people, people might be addicted to it and not even know it, but they'll know that they feel better when they go buy stuff from so-and-so because his stuff makes them feel better than so-and-so stuff. So they're trying to create a community of um, people who are addicted to opioids. I was wondering why there's so many of them in my town. My husband and I drive by, we're like, what, what? they're like on top of each other and yeah. that makes well, sense. Yeah. So if they, um, well, you know, the, um, legal marijuana places, they can't sell fentanyl. Okay, good. That, so where do the, so the illegal, so where do they get the it? illegal ones? This is where, well, it's coming. Um, a lot of it's coming from over the border, um, down, you know, Southern area coming through, but you know, realistically, any kid that has a cell phone, um, is in harm's way because a lot of kids are purchasing um, medications, uh, fake pills um, through apps now, um, Snapchat, I know, um, TikTok, different things like that. I've seen um, different social media avenues where kids can order something through there and it'd be delivered right to their house before a parent, a parent might not even know it. So this is why, you know, conversations, when we go across the country, we speak, to parents too, you know, conversations are so important and conversations can save a life. Right. And I think because like marijuana is so whatever accepted these days. I mean, when I was 
when I was in my 20s, it was like, oh my gosh, that person smokes pot. Now it's like, you know, you, you walk in any store and half the time I think I get high walking by someone. But <laughs> Well, yeah. it's different though. You know, I hate to say it's different than when we were kids because I remember my parents always saying, you know, it's different. We had to walk to school both ways uphill, you know, that whole thing. But, but it is different because, you know, the concentration of the marijuana and stuff that kids are smoking is so much higher than it was back then. Now it's just not smoking marijuana. It's the wax, you know, where they strip it out of the marijuana leaf and it's so intensely concentrated, you know, so it's just different. And, you know, it's, this is why conversations need to be had, you know, it, affects their brains you know kids brains are still developing until they're 24 26 years old so every time you introduce a different chemical into your body it's rewiring different parts of your brain and so it's it's just so important um that we have those conversations with kids so they know what's happening and that we educate ourselves as parents and yes. you know and that we know what's going on out there so that we can have those intelligent conversations with our kids so what do you say when a kid says you know oh marijuana is not a big deal i'm not having this stuff that's laced with fentanyl you know because it's so accepted what how as a parent do you talk to your kid about that you know do you well the average um that let's say Johnny gets marijuana from, from Jimmy down yeah. on the corner. Well, Johnny doesn't know that before Jimmy got it, probably 11 to 12 other people have mm -hmm. had their hands on that. So, and each person wants to make money because they're all in this for money. So they're all cutting it with who knows what and mixing it to make it a higher quantity. Oh. So I would tell Johnny, if, unless he knows every single one of those people individually, then you don't know where your stuff's coming from. You know, I've heard kids say, well, I know my dear, I know where I'm getting it from. He would never do that to me. Right. You don't know the other, you know, hands that that has transpired through and it's not worth the risk that is a very good example practical example of yeah. um you know because i know some kids are like oh well i have a what is it the medical card or whatever and i get it there okay they get it there but the majority of kids on campuses they're not getting it there so yeah and it's really you can't trust anybody yeah. anymore with that because you know somebody might um, you know, I'm getting it from my roommate, my, room, my roommate would never do that, but where'd your roommate get it? And that person get it. And it's just not worth it. You can't, there's no room for error right now. Yeah. You're not, you're not looking at the source and you're not going to know the source. So don't even try to tell me that, you know, the source. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's very scary right now and it's not worth the risk. So you said liquid it's in liquid too. I mean, are people like dropping it in drinks or uh, no more so like vapes. Um, they found some in vape pens um, that have been laced with that. Um, marijuana has been laced. Cocaine has been laced. We're mm. hearing about a lot of that. I know there's a, a, a high risk of um, a lot of cocaine on some college campuses. And mm. um, some of those have been laced with fentanyl as well. So, um, yeah, you can, I mean, really any paper you open up anymore, you yeah you can see tragedies in there. You know, this is something back in 2015 when my kids passed away, you know, that was a record year at 57,000 people had died that year, you know, which was disgusting. You know, now we're at 109,000 people that have died in the last 12 months and it's not getting any better. You know, this is almost like 300 people a day that are dying from an overdose. You know, an overdose is preventable and it's senseless, you know, it's a senseless death. Um, and, you know, it's just something that we all need to start talking about and we all need to take action um, so that we can stop this because we are all going to be intimately um, affected by this. We're gonna know somebody directly or indirectly where it's gonna happen and we need to stop this. Mm. Woo. Yeah. I know. It's 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 just it's crazy. It's um I don't and then you just think about you think about the kids that are going in because I before this all kind of took off, I you hear about like, oh, 
a kid on a football team has to have surgery and then he takes an opioid that he gets in the emergency room and gets addicted to that. But this is a whole other level of it being, you know, just everywhere. And I'm, I'm curious if there's stats on kind of how COVID and the isolation has kind of made this worse, you know, um, and I, yeah, I'm, I know there are stats out there. I don't know them offhand, but I know um, that there has been a rise in overdose deaths. There has been a rise in mental health crisis. Oh, yes. There has been a rise in, you know, depression. There has been, a, so most of that, there has been a rise in all that. And all that stuff can be interrelated. You know, sometimes, you know, people, you know, self-medicate to soothe, you know, how they're feeling and things like that. So, um, you know, it's really important that we get mental health under, you know, we get people mental health access to mental health care and um, that they can get so that they're not trying to self-medicate themselves. And it's important that we all, you know, we have resources and um, heightened awareness on what is going on in our communities so that um, we can alleviate some of those, those risks. Right. Right, exactly. So tell me how Narcan plays into all this. So can Narcan, do, tell me. Yeah, so Narcan is the, um, the, the, the antidote to an opioid um, overdose. So, and what it does is it will, opioids when they go, when you take too much, will um, lock onto your receptors in your brain and it suppresses your central nervous system, which, suppresses your breathing, your heart rate, all that, which eventually you, you overdose and you die. Um, when you have Narcan, um, Narcan pulls those receptors off those, the cell, so that you're able to, um, to breathe. Your central nervous system, um, is able to work. And Narcan now is available, um, just about in every community, you can go to your health department. Um, there's a lot of different agencies around that have it available. Um, and it doesn't cure somebody. Um, it doesn't cure anybody who has an addiction. It doesn't cure. It does not cure. The only thing it does is it keeps them alive so that they can get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, kind of like CPR, you know, you CPR is not going to cure your heart condition, um, but it can keep you alive until you can get the help that you need. And uh, we're very fortunate. We have in our community a lot of Narcan available. We have a vending machine at St. Joe County Police Department um, that is stocked. Um, no questions asked. People can go in and get a dose and carry it. I encourage everybody to carry a dose of Narcan because you never know um, when we're going to come in contact with somebody who may need it. Um, I have heard story after story after story um, of people that we have trained that have used it um, in situations that they never thought they would be in, you know, whether it be a college roommate um, by walking down the street and um, basically tripping over somebody um, who was in the midst of an overdose. So, you know, being a nurse, especially if I am ever able to save somebody's life and I have the capability to do that, I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's not for me to decide who lives or who dies. Yeah. Um, so that's what Narcan is. And that right now is the only antidote um, until people can get the help that they need. Right, right. Um, so you said something about how you didn't, you weren't always kind of an advocate for it. Um, so... And obviously well, you see the other you know, side. I, this is, you know, I've been a nurse for 30 years and, you know, it goes back to the stigma. Yeah. You know, I mean, way back when, you know, when I worked in a hospital, you know, you had Narcan available for, you know, if somebody had got too much morphine when, you know, from chest pain or whatever, things like that. Um, and it goes back, you know, to, to education, you know, and, you know, back then, you know, we did stigmatize people who were drug addicts and people who, who had, um, you know, addiction issues. And I think the more you educate yourself and the more you're in the know, the more you understand um, that they're not doing this to themselves. You know, like this is truly a disease 
and it is something that we need to help and support people through. Um, you know, you will do anything to help keep somebody alive. And, and the people who have substance abuse um, issues are no different than anybody else, you know, and their lives are just as important as anybody else. And that's why, you know, when I talk about the Narcan, sometimes we do hear um, some negative things about that. And again, if I have the capability to keep somebody alive, I'm an advocate for that, as yeah. I am for other things that keep people alive and help them. Yeah. You know, I and I'm not here to say one's worse than the other. You know, I want, you know, everybody to live a healthy life and a happy life. You know. Yeah, and it's. I mean, being a recovering addict myself, it is. It is. Addiction is so stigmatized. Mental health is still so stigmatized. And I always say it's just because you can't see it doesn't mean that you don't have a massive issue in your brain and you need to address it. You know, your neurons aren't connecting and, and right. addiction. And I know. think the more we talk about it and the more understanding people will get about it, you know, and realize that, you know, you know, Meredith just didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I'm going to, you know, change my career and I'm going to go be, you know, addicted to whatever, you know, it doesn't happen like that. And, um, the, we do need to talk about it. And the only way we're going to break that stigma, um, and the only way we're going to make a dent in what's going on in our communities is to break that stigma and to talk about it and, um, for everybody, you know, to do their part. Yes, I agree. And, it kind of makes me think, which makes me kind of move into the um, the binge drinking on college campuses, because when I was, I don't know if we talked about this or not, but when I was at Notre Dame, I mean, my third weekend at Notre Dame, I had tried out for the rowing team and, you know, I drank some concoction and I was in the hospital and, you know, the doctor was like, you're, you have an addict, you're going to have a problem. And I was like, no, I'm fine. But my roommates didn't know what to do with me because they all just thought I drank too much. And it's like, there's so many facets to it where like college kids aren't educated. I mean, I can't tell you how many girls I've mentored, college students that have said, I had to help my friend. I had to carry my friend down the street or, you know, or I blacked out. And, you know, I went and spoke at one of the dorms because they had so many girls black out at this dance. And all they wanted to talk about was how many calories they were eating or how many is, how many is okay for me to drink. You know, and nobody's really talking about that maybe there's a genetic disposition to the, you know, the addiction of the alcohol or the maybe there is, you know, trauma that somebody's had and nobody talks about it. They just want to cover it with, oh, just do a six week class and that doesn't fix it, <laughs> you know, and I, um, I just, it, it doesn't mean that every kid on every college campus has the, has a problem. Yeah. Um, no, but everybody potentially could, yes. you know, there's been research to say, you know, again, our brains, kids' brains are still developing until they're 24 to 26 years old. Um, boys sometimes takes a little bit longer than girls, but, um, and when you're introducing that a chemical, which alcohol is uh, chemically changes the brain mm -hmm. um, every time they do it. And binge drinking is, I think it's the like, latest statistic I read said something about 92% of the drinking that goes on in college campuses is binge drinking. Mm -hmm. And the first six weeks of a kid being on campus is the most risky for that binge drinking, which is terrifying as a parent, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so again, I think a lot of it is we need to talk to our kids about that. Mm -hmm. And we also need to realize that our kids are not going to be perfect, <laughs> you know? Um, and we need to um, allow space for our kids to mm -hmm. make um, some mistakes or to be able to reach out for us for help that we can help them. I have a lot of kids that I talk to and I always tell them, you know, have an exit plan. You know, if you're somewhere or you need, you know, or know what you're going to do if you're in, in a situation, be a good friend. If your friend is in that situation, you know, don't have a person you can call. Don't feel bad about calling your parents in the middle of the night mm -hmm. or an aunt or somebody you feel close with. Um, 
And if we're that parent that they do call or that aunt or that family friend, then we need to um, be there for them. Um, and not, you know, some, so many kids have said, my parents have picked me up. They said, no matter what, they'll come get me. But then I get in the car and I'm, they're screaming at me the whole way home. And then I'm grounded from my phone and whatever, whatever. And I'm like, parents, do you think they're ever going to call you again in that situation? Nope. Absolutely not. But I understand as a parent, you're just, I mean, beside yourself when, you know, something like that happens. However, that's not the time or the place to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Am I going to have a conversation with my kid? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be the next day, you know, and it's going to be, you know, frequent, quick chats. It's not going to be a three hour long dissertation about something that they've tuned me out after five seconds, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's going to be a constant thing that I'm having conversations. You know, I still have conversations with my kids all the time there, you know, every time I talk to them, you know, let's, you know, we have quick conversations about stuff. And that's what research shows is that frequent, quick, you know, short conversations are the, the conversations that work. Yeah, so. That's good. That's, yeah. and I think a lot of it is um, we're like, Mike and I, I guess have kind of been blessed to have an experience where we can say to our kids, like, I'm not here to judge you, you know, I'm, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but it's like, you listen, you listen to what, what's going on. And, you and that's just, a skill. Listening is a skill, a learned skill. Yeah. It's yeah. Hard. It is very hard, especially when you want to have the parental, you know, response. Of, and you have that emotion and you're like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. My dad used oh. to always say, he always, cause his mom was an alcoholic and he always, he always used to say it's in our family, Meredith, don't do it. Don't do it. And then we, he would see me hosting tailgates in Notre Dame partying crazy. And he would just kind of give me this shamed look. But you know, when I called him, when I finally got, was ready to get sober and he was like, Oh, it's like, I had to want to get better. And I think sometimes oh. when these parents make it about disciplining the kid to do it perfectly. And it's like, no, your kid has to live and learn and make the dumb decisions to realize that they're not helping them, you know? Yeah. Well, none of us are perfect. And I, in my mind, feel like if my kids do call me or anybody's kid calls them, I'm, I'm thankful that I have that opportunity that they can call me and that it's not like my last, you know, with Nick and Jack, you know, you know, I, because at least, you know, they're able to call me and, we're able to have a conversation and talk about, you know, whatever it is, I, you know, whether anything, you know, if I get a call in the middle of the night, my reaction is going to be much different than it probably would have been in the past mm-hmm. because I know that um, it's an opportunity. Yes. Yes. And that's, I think probably something that all parents need to know. It's an opportunity to speak life and to be present and to listen to your kid and, and to really kind of get an, a window into where they're at. I'm, I'm, I'm always like, what's going on in their heart, you know? Um, Cause it's never just about that thing. You know, if they've drank too much one night and they feel awful, it's like, what, what's going on? What's really going on? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and sometimes, I mean, kids, peer pressure, we have to yeah. really, peer pressure is we have to, and I think as parents, I mean, we don't understand how hard it is for them to go against that grain of peer pressure. And really we need, you know, the more we have conversations with them, um, the more we give them facts, um, the more we give them resources, different things, the more tools we're giving them to get out of those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, we're teaching them refusal skills. You know, mm-hmm. that was something that um, I was out in Florida and they t- are teaching kids down there. I'm like, this is fantastic. You know, you're, they're teaching them how to refuse when yeah. they're being offered stuff, yeah. you know, whether you act like you didn't hear it. And somebody said, Hey, you know, Becky, you want to try this? Well, I keep walking. And they're like, Hey, Becky, I'm like, Oh, wait, what? You know, oh, I didn't hear you. No, I got to go. My mom called. That quick five seconds that I had to think about it could have given me the opportunity to come up with a, you know, a white lie or uh, something I got to leave. You know, so teaching our kids different things, different refusal skills, different 
tools to get out of situations um, can help them with some of that peer pressure. Yeah, that's, it gives them, gives them courage to kind of step away from it. Cause it is, especially on college campuses. It's like, if you're not drinking or doing whatever, it's like, you're weird. What's wrong? Why aren't you doing this? And, you know, I was, I think that when I ended up in the hospital that fresh, that, that sophomore year it was, it was like, I think I knew I had a problem, but I, there was nowhere, what, nothing for me to do with it. And drinking was the culture. So I just kept doing it, you know, because of the people. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think we just have to, you know, help our kids understand that, you know, especially in high school. I mean, there's a lot of research out there that show, you know, kids think in high school, everybody's, you know, smoking marijuana or everybody's drinking or, and the statistics show that not everybody is, but that's all that we seem to be focused on, you know, so to speak. So, you know, we, there's a lot of positive reinforcement to focus on, you know, all the kids who aren't doing it, you know, and highlighting that and stuff. But I think it's just our natural tendency to focus on everybody's, you know, like we're, cause that's what we think we, we see or we know. And, um, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting, isn't it, Meredith? Yes, it is. It's like, it is, it's like, it's like a beast with tentacles, you know, the alcohol, the fit and all that. It's like all of these just things that are just, and I don't know, it's just, um, it's just such important stuff to talk about. And, um, I think parents, that's why I wanted to have you on, because I think parents need to hear it more. I think parents need to, you know, be real about it. And, you know, and kids need to be real about it. And, um, you know, I mean, I know my stepdaughter, I think she was a year below your son, the younger one. And at oh, Penn, yeah, and I remember I, we, oh, were, okay. we were, Sammy Shaler, and I remember we were standing outside, we were like, I don't know, cutting the grass or something, and she came and told us. and. You know, I mean, I still remember where I was the moment we found out. And, you know, I know it's impacted her life tremendously and, you know, all the kids that were, you know, yeah. around. It's just, her. you know, one of those things that you just never, you know, expect to happen, you know, and I, yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it's very unfortunate that it's continuing to happen 300 times a day. You know, it's just, um, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things that we do, we have to do better and we have to talk about it. And, um, um, one, my one last question was, um, you know, like when you've been out there going to different schools all over the country and are there any, I know you sometimes post kind of who, how people are impacted, or kids are impacted. I was just curious if you had any one or two or any story of how your how your foundation has changed people's lives. Well, I always that I kind of think that that's what makes keeps me going is the 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 messages and the you know our parents. You know, um, I know when parents come and see me talk, usually I'll do a community event after um, I've talked to the students and the parents will say, "I'm only here because." My kids made me come because they heard you this morning and said, mom, you've got to go hear this person speak. And then they'll come up and they say, oh my goodness, we're going to go home and we're going to clean out our medicine cabinet, or we're going to, you know, have a conversation. And, um, there's always those kind of conversations that really, you know, make your heart smile, mm -hmm. but then it's the messages that or you know, the conversations that happen outside of that, you know, the private messages mm -hmm. that are sent to me. Um, you know, like people who um, have reached out to help, get help um, because of hearing our story and our kids who whose prom plans have changed because they had plans to do, you know, XYZ at prom. And then after I came and talked, they, you know, said our prom plans changed because of your talk. Yeah. You know, we were going to go out and do XYZ and then we changed it, you know, just things like that. It's like, we'll never know if, we, you know, the impact we would have had, you know, it, it potentially is life saved. And, and in my mind, that's what I have to think and um, rest assured that Nick and Jack are still making a difference here yeah. in this world, um, just in a different way than what we had thought. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, 
there's you guys are it's like you guys are all still together on the same mission just yeah, you know, some sweet so angels. Yeah. yeah of course they are exactly. yeah. yeah well incredible story incredible what i know god is doing through you guys and will continue to do through you guys and and i just pray that more people get blessed um, you know by the awareness you're spreading and um people Thank make you. different choices parents kids um i i love kind of the i don't know i say the intergenerational message of your foundation oh, it's you know it, well, everybody can be impacted you know um and by it, you know, grandparents, even as well, we have grandparents that reach out to us or, you know, will come to our talks because, you know, they have pills in their home and mm -hmm. they want to know how to safely dispose of those or how they should, you know, what they should do when their grandkids come over. And, you know, I'm like, you know, talk about it. Don't hide anything, you know, but know that, but know where your meds are, you know, and, and you know, it should be okay. You know, let your, don't hide anything from me. I think when people start hiding stuff and they think then, oh, am I supposed to get into that stuff? So, um, but put it away, you know, and um, when you're done with it, dispose of it properly. Yeah. And speaking of the disposal, I always love when I see your, what are you, what do you call them? Like our permanent drop boxes, our yes. drop stop program. Yeah. Yeah. I love when I see them. I'm always like, go Becky. When I first yeah, well, I was always at the grocery store, you know, being a mother of four right. boys. And I'm like, what a great, you know, place to have those. It's just right by the front door. Martin's was so generous and let us put them right there. Mm -hmm. So it kind of serves as a, a reminder, you know, people coming in the store, people leaving the store. Um, but yet it's convenient. You know, when people, they can, if they just want to run in and drop stuff off, they can be proud of those boxes. So mm -hmm. they're collecting lots of pills. So that's, that's a good thing. Our yeah. community um, is really starting to make it a habit in cleaning out their stuff. So that's a good thing. Well, yes, that's awesome. It, it also shows that you're impacting the our, our immediate community. So um, we are blessed by your by your impact. So, um, all right, well, tell me, uh, I'll close it up where, where can people find you and tell, and then tell us about your book. She's actually written a book too. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, um, this was, uh, my COVID project. I don't know if this is video or not, but, um, so it's called, um, our book is called hashtag one choice, how 10 seconds can change your life. And, I wrote it really over COVID. Um, I wasn't able to get out to the schools and, you know, kind of tell our story, but yet um, knew the need was still there. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of put our story down in a book form, but it's kind of, it's different than most because it's told from Nick and Jack's perspective, mm -hmm. which I love because, I mean, let's face it, kids don't really listen to parents, right? They're not going to listen to me, but they'll listen to their peers. And so it's just, you know, Nick and Jack, telling their story and then their voices end the night that they pass away and then mine takes over and um yeah so it was it was, it was pretty hard to write um but it was pretty um I don't know almost therapeutic so to speak yeah. it didn't have to be cliche or anything but it, it did it was just kind of I felt really proud of the project when it was done and um, there's resources in the back for parents and teachers and kids, um, different emojis that kids are using for drug language and social media and different things. So um, that is available on Amazon, um, but we can be found on social medias. We have the TikTok, not TikTok yet, but Instagram, Facebook, um, and then our website, which is 525foundation.org. Yeah. And if some people may not, I mean, I know what the numbers mean, but people who don't know what the numbers mean, do you want to tell them what that means? Yeah. So um, five, Nick and Jack were avid hockey players. Um, actually, all four of my boys were. And um, this, that was their hockey numbers. Five was Jack's hockey number and 25 was Nick's hockey number. And it's just kind of a way to bring them along with us on this journey. So it's the 525 Foundation. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me, Becky. I hope it. Um, I hope this helps a lot of people, and uh, I just. I do too. I really appreciate you inviting me to be on here and tell our story, and, yeah. and just kind of bring in more awareness to what's going on in our communities, and 
um, hopefully that'll save a life, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. I, I thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today. If you love this podcast, make sure you leave a review on Spotify, share it with your friends, visit my website, or follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Get Real with Meredith. See you next time on Guiding God's Daughters.